Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I are talking with Kelly Cruz. Kelly is the founder of Cruz Consulting Group and an expert in all things related to the talent in your firm. She has a unique ability to connect the dots between your vision, your talent, and this one's important, how your firm actually works. Now, the work that she does today is a reflection of all of the roles that she's played, but in particular of her previous two roles. First, directing the consulting services and research programs at Investment News, and in particular as the driver of the industry's first human capital practice consulting program for RIA advisory firms at Schwab. She's a consultant, a writer, a speaker, and If you talk to her for more than a few minutes, you'll discover she's also an avid trail runner and a Giants fan. So Steve and I talked to Kelly about the connection between client and team engagement, the role of culture, and particularly interesting in my mind, the potential for culture clashes within firms. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation. Well, Kelly, welcome. We're so thrilled to have you here today. Yeah, welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you both. Well, you know, we've had the opportunity to talk a lot about team and culture and how that drives growth over the many years that I've known you. So it's great to, to be able to share uh, some more of these ideas with the folks that, that are uh, listening to us on this podcast. But, you know, I... I think that uh, you've got some really interesting takes on things like the connection between team engagement and client engagement, and then, of course, how that impacts referrals, and also how mindset really uh, impacts how you develop a great team. But I thought maybe even before we dig into some of that, we could just connect the dots a little. And a couple of questions for you. I mean, first of all, do you, and maybe more specifically, how do you think that team engagement connects to client engagement? Yeah, great, great question. And I think a good good place for us to start the, the conversation today. You know, in my mind, engagement comes about feeling really good and having passion about the company that you're working for, the meaningful work that you're doing. And I think for some, if not all, we attach part of our own identity with with the job. And so it really comes down to um, employees feeling sort of this connection uh, to to the company and the role and the work that they're doing. And And I might add that I think the work that advisory firms do with their clients just fulfills a lot of meaning for people because the work that that you all are doing is so so important to to clients in their lives and their livelihood um so i think there's just this connection there uh that that happens about feeling really good and that spills over into the client experience i mean when employees are happy and they're productive and they're doing work that they they love and they're engaged with, um, clients are going to know that. And, and, you know, Julie, you've heard me say this, Steve, I think you have too, a lot about the fact that 
the secret sauce of our business model is really about that relationship you have with the client and, and the many touch points that the client has with your team. That's the whole point of a team is that, you know, more than one person is interacting with the end client. So a happy, engaged employee is going to automatically spill over into a positive client experience. So it's it's almost it's it's infectious almost it's it sounds like in in that case when when you feel great about what you're doing you do you think you automatically then um, have a, show up in a different way with clients is is that sort of the the connection that you see there absolutely and I do I do see that in the work that that I do and and I just want to take and pause for a moment. So that folks understand, and I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but, but I've read some interesting stuff around the brain and the way it works. And as leaders, um, when we intentionally help the brains of our employees uh, generate things like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, we create good feelings about the organization. Now, that may sound a little crazy coming from an, a human capital consultant, but it makes a lot of sense. Dopamine is sort of that anticipation of reward. Serotonin is feeling good, having well-being. Um, oxytocin is bonding and feeling connected to others. So if that's happening in the work environment, and as leaders, we're engaging the brains of our employees these in these ways, uh, it's going to naturally spill over into all the different interactions, um, both small and large, that employees are having with the end client. So I, I guess the natural question then is, what are the ways in which we can we can cause that to happen? Absolutely, and I do believe that the work that I do with firms around, you know, your talent—I like to call it the talent wealth. Little play there on wealth management, talent wealth. Um, but it really is about um, how are you how are you engaging um, your your team. Uh, and it's, it's somewhat about process and structure. So there is a method to the madness. So firms that, that just manage people, in, their employees in a looser way, you know, and you can get away with that when you're, you're fairly small for a while. But the type of processes and procedures that sort of, again, getting back to how to engage the brain in, in these things that make people feel engaged, it's really around employee communication. It's the training and the onboarding you do with new employees. So employee communication, let me go back there a little bit. This is really about making people feel like they belong and communicating on an ongoing basis. Not just that once a year dreaded annual ritual that we're coming up on for a lot, we call the, the performance review process, but regularly engaging with employees around what's going on with the firm, their role, how they, you know, how they connect to, to what's happening and the key initiatives for the firm, why what they do matters, you know, why, why this important task that's been entered into the CRM system that they're responsible for, how does, how does that connect? Uh, the training and onboarding of new hires just helps to create these touch points. Um, especially for new hires, it's really important to make sure that they, they get on board and they feel like um, 
they can they can make a difference um you know that type of thing uh motivating performance and and giving that feedback as i mentioned and your your incentives and your reward systems all play into you know our natural need to feel taken care of and rewarded for the work that we're doing okay and then so uh, when I say this, I'll probably sound like I'm leading the witness a little, but, um, it, you know, it, do you also then see a connection between getting those things right and driving that in, that engagement uh, and growth in the firm? Uh, I mean, we talk about referrals, obviously, but, but growth in general? Absolutely. And I think... Um, this is where if if you are a firm that wants to grow and it's it's really hard to find those that that aren't wanting to grow yeah. i mean i have some clients that come to me and the reason why they've kind of stopped growth is because they're at capacity and they just they can't in good conscience you know take on additional clients they they need to be servicing their existing ones the best they can first so there there definitely uh, there definitely can be a point at which you're like no growth for right now but most of the firms that I work with uh, want to grow and it is every employee's responsibility if the organization is going to be healthy and we have this kind of healthy ecosystem that we're we're living at work in that, that the firm continues to grow and it in my opinion it's every employee's job uh, to be uh, you know helping the firm to grow and some roles as we know have a much smaller impact on that and others have a much larger one but it's my belief and I've written some articles on this that building a business development culture is everyone's responsibility, right? It, 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 so whether you touch a client directly or in a small way, you can have an influence on the client and how they perceive um, the experience of the firm to be. So I think it's um, I think it's absolutely everybody's role, and obviously some in a smaller versus a larger way. And and I work with many firms that you know, have a reward system set up that regardless of who it is in the firm that refers a client, a, a prospect, I should say, refers a friend, family member, uh, someone they know, um, they are, um, you know, they're eligible to receive an, an incentive off of that. So, K Kelly, can you clarify a couple things for us? Can you, uh, we talked a little about team engagement. You just uh, used the word culture there. Can you Tell us the relationship between engagement and culture, and maybe, maybe describe for us what you know what a healthy culture looks like. Sure, absolutely, and they are great question. They are connected. Um, so I have kind of a framework that that I use to think about you know running a successful business, and in the center of that. Uh, frame work circle think of it as a circle for those of you that are more visual folks imagine a circle in the middle of it or the center of it is culture and what I mean by culture is it's the beliefs it's the traits it's the characteristics of your your team the people that work there and it, it, it needs to then follow that your goals, the visions, the values, the strategies, the goals that you have for the firm really are an offshoot or an output 
of the culture. So what I like to say is the culture is at the heart of every firm. And you should then you should then be able to uh, figure out from the culture of the firm what are some of the core competencies, right? The the traits and characteristics that fit in our culture. And for folks that might be listening, where you know they're pausing and they're thinking, hmm, what does that mean for my firm? How would I describe that? Ask your employees how they would describe the firm culture. Ask your best employee what are some of the traits and characteristics that come to their mind when they think of working in the firm and, and you know, sort of that connection to uh, the folks that are successful there. Because that's at the heart of your organization. So if you say, for example, we have a team culture, well, what, is, what does that really mean? And if it's true that you, it means making decisions in a collaborative way, always looking out for each other, uh, thinking about what's best for employees and clients and putting that as the top priority. Then when you recruit people in the door, you best make sure that you're, you're um, screening for those traits and characteristics of a team player. What, what, what kinds of, of, of other words, you know, you just described a few words that you would associate with a strong culture. What other kinds of words would you expect to hear if you've got a good, good culture? And what kinds of words should you be looking out for that might give you an indication that you've got a weak culture? Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. So uh, the, the team orientation, which, which probably most of the folks listening are, you know, interested in, um, you know, they're just characteristics of people who, who are more open, more flexible, more adaptable to working uh, on a team and, and being open-minded about others' ideas and accepting of different points of views and ways of looking at things that help to create that team culture. So collaboration, com strong communication um, are things that are really important. On, on the flip side of that uh, can be cultures that um, are more top-down, more dictatorial, um, have less uh, autonomy. Maybe there's not a lot of delegation and authority that's been uh, you know, given out in in the organization where where people feel like they have responsibility, they have the authority, they they can go off and make things happen. It's it's not so again command and control top down. Um, firms that that cultures that don't really don't uh, invoke a lot of flexibility and adaptability are really tough uh, for people to work in that are more team oriented. And so I think that um, I kind of sometimes think of it as, you know, maybe a little bit of old school where, you know, you have to be in your desk to be perceived as being productive and not having a lot of flexibility around flexible work schedules and people being able to work from home. All of that builds a culture that really engages, let's get back to engagement, that engages the workforce. And I think we've got a big difference going on right now. Let's, you know, let's, let's talk about it. We've got different generations at play in the workplace today, and that may or may not be working 
in your favor if you're trying to create a team and create, um, you know, engagement. I remember you talking, and maybe this is what you're referring to about a culture clash. Is is that a generational uh, issue in your mind? Well, I think that's that's a great question in terms of is it generational? I think the way that we're talking about it, you know, in terms of of educational sessions and what's being written, it really is it is being discussed as generational. And I think that's a good starting place because let's be honest, at least we're we're talking about it. We're we're going to talk about the differences and the similarities. But, you know, largely in today's advisory firm, we probably have at least two, maybe three or four different generations. We could have some matures, which are before our baby boomers. Most, I think if we look at it, and Julie, you're probably better with these numbers than I am, but the median age of, of a firm owner, we're probably talking about a classic baby boomer. Um, and then we've got Gen Xers who have come into now really more of the management ranks. And then we've got our millennials, the millennials that, you know, so much is being written about the millennials. And when you look at the characteristics and traits of these, um, you know, these different generations, there are some clear differences that can create a clash in the culture. So I joke about it and kind of call it this culture clash of, of the cowboys meet the collab collaborators and the cowboys being the baby boomers and the Gen Xers and the millennials being more of those collaborators. You know, baby boomers classically are motivated by traditional benefit packages and they're fiercely loyal as long as, you know, they've got security and benefits um, as part of the equation. Um, you know, they are folks who like to look at, you know, the plaques on the wall and their educational certificates and, you know, like that kind of recognition and reward. And, you know, most of, of our firm owners are classic entrepreneurs. They've kind of carved their own way. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily always make for the best collaboration. Um, yet, on the other end of the extreme here, we have millennials, those um, most of our new job entrants are millennials, obviously, and, you know, they are much more um, engaged by a team approach, working on things collaboratively, um, you know, not so much sit me in a cubicle by myself and let me figure it out. They want to be mentored, coached. Um, and brought along. And so these different work styles, they can clash and it can create a different um, cultural dynamic. You know, boomers, I'll put myself in this category, you know, we're all about production. You know, if I see a butt in a chair, I know you're doing your work and, and I'm going to get my eight hours out of you. Where that may not actually be the case. So I've tried to really encourage firms to think about you know, is it really about FaceTime or is it about the work that's actually getting accomplished? And are there some different ways that work can get done than the traditional way we've approached it in the past? And and that's hard. And and how does how does a, a boomer how does a boomer orientation or that boomer mindset sort of what what can an advisor do to uh, to make sure that they have a mindset that's building culture and, and and what can a what what could happen with a boomer mindset that could actually work to um, damage a culture? 
besides what you just said, you talked about, you know, well, I only know if you're productive if you're sitting at your chair. What what are some other ways that that, that kind of orientation or mindset could uh, could hurt building a culture? Yeah, and that's the biggest one that I that I see is this sort of accountability um, that you know, or putting in a lot of long hours because I put in all this sweat equity and I, you know, worked long hours and because that's the way I did it, that's the way you should do it. And, you know, for, for boomers, we didn't grow up with technology um, creating the type of productivity enhancements that it does in today's work environment. I mean, things can be done so much faster. And, and the classic example I, I use is the CRM system, which for most firms is the lifeblood of the organization. Yet, I cannot tell you, as a matter of fact, before our podcast today, I was on a call with a client and we were discussing this very thing about, um, you know, the baby boomer advisors who just refuse to use the CRM system. It's not a good use of their time and the time it takes them to enter in a task. Somebody else could do it faster. So they're relying on, you know, emailing the CSA to, to input the stuff into the CRM system or literally posted notes um, or, you know, downloading in a meeting after, you know, a meeting with their client to tell them all the things that have to be put into the CRM system. And it's just simply not a very efficient way to get work done. Um, but trying to retrain uh, someone who has been hugely successful building their firm and operating this way to now adjust to new technology, that's a cultural change. And it's not happening easily in some firms, frankly. It's, it's interesting to me because we, in a way you're almost tempted to go down the path of talking about operational things like do we or don't we enter things in CRM? And yet it almost sounds like you're talking about something that runs really deep in people, right? It's, it, 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 if, if you're, in the, if you're the, the boomer in this case, you may not even have identified some of these characteristics that you have or values that you hold. Um, so, you know, I imagine you find that the conversations that you must have with people run quite deep. Absolutely. And it's really interesting when you see, because I can see this with, say, a Gen Xer um, lead advisor or owner, you know, they will happily do whatever the CSA tells them, right? You want me to enter something into the system? Great, I'll enter it into the system, you know, anything to be more productive and, you know, keep people engaged in the work, right? Um, it, but I think for me, what I where I think it lies in what people's what what people are confident in, and for a lot of boomers, technology. Not this isn't all boomers by any stretch of the imagination, but for some, it at this point, it's like it's not a good use of my time. It it's just not what I want to be spending time on, and. Um, and so I'm not going to learn it or, you know, that's going to be somebody else's job. And we can do workarounds. I mean, that's perfectly fine. If you hire a CSA or even an executive assistant, an admin assistant, God forbid those job titles might be might become, uh, you know, extinct at some point. But they're so important because if it truly isn't someone's the best use of their time, then let's let someone hire someone 
who can do it for them, who knows that's their job. They're not expecting the advisor to be inputting, right, this stuff into a CRM system and using it. I think this is where I see a lot of the disconnect is that lack of communication and lack of understanding of what the expectation of the job role is. But it is deeply rooted, back to the point you're making, and the, the key for me is to get it out on the table and get it talked about and get it discussed so that you can, you can have people be engaged in the process. Because one of the things that I see happen with employees is when they're up against, you know, uh, something they can't solve, they think isn't, you know, they don't have the authority to solve it, or it's something like this, it's a behavior of the owner, they tend to then disconnect. And that's what we were really talking about in the beginning is engagement and, and wanting people to be thoroughly engaged. So it's... Well, and, and can we can we clarify this and drill down into a little bit more? Because I, I, I think the CRM example is a real good example. And if I understand you correctly, it's, it's not necessarily about the using the technology and whether or not a boomer uses the technology, but it's whether they set an expectation and then have the respect to, to live up to it. And I'll, I'll give you a... Uh, an example from from my background, I used to work for a financial planning company a long time ago, and each year, the CEO would bring us all he would bring us all out to do an offsite, you know, annual goal setting, and, and we'd have a full day discussion, you know, and so it, and it's on a weekend, so we're we're giving up our weekend, and you know, so we have that barrier to overcome. But but the big thing was we would come up with all of the, with a whole list of priorities and a whole list of things to do, and it, and it became very clear that. The CEO had no buy-in at all to that exercise. That they, they were going to do whatever they were going to do because they were the CEO. And if we all want to get together and feel good about bringing in a facilitator and working all this stuff out, that's fine. But I'm going to do whatever I feel like. And that was, and, and the culture was. I mean, that really, that, that was only one of several things. But I mean, you know, the, the culture left a lot to be desired there. And so I. So I think that whole CRM thing is sort of a reflection of that. It's not whether or not you use the CRM, but if you set an expectation that everybody needs to use the CRM, and then you don't do it, um, that 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 has an effect on the culture. Now, if you say that it's critical that the CRM be utilized, and here's how you're going to use it, and here's how, you know, that the advisor is going to use it, and and that's all like you said, communicated and laid out um, up front, then then it sounds like you could maintain a positive culture without necessitating that the advisor learn how to use that system is, is that is that fair absolutely and I think it's it's all about communicating and understanding and creating the right expectations because um, you know any person when they understand well you know like if you could see me struggle with technology you would be like yeah Kelly let me help you Let like let's hire someone to help you right it's not worth it to see like my husband does this with me he's just like here get out of the way and let me do it it's like painful to watch you um, I think that's where you get the buy-in from people it's like wow okay he you know Kelly really doesn't know how to do this and I can save her a lot of time and this is you know that's where you start to get the understanding of wow but you have to be open and vulnerable to admitting let's be honest I'm admitting I'm not very technology savvy 
and I didn't grow up, especially having a career in human resources. We were the last ones to get computers, by the way, in case you didn't know that, <laughs> in the workplace. It was like, oh, they're a cost center. Who wants to give them PCs, right? They get. We used to have to share a laptop when we, you know, I'd have to borrow one from somebody else when I traveled. Um, so we were the last ones to get automated. And so you, you realize, well, okay, re and I hear this a lot because part of my process is I interview each employee in the work engagement work that I do. And, you know, I ask people, if you could, if you could change one thing about the firm, what would it be? And, and, you know, a lot of times people are like, it, it's just easier for me to do certain things. I get that this really successful business owner, it's not, it's not really a good use of his time or her time. So let me do it. You know, let me take that on. And I feel like, um, it's about the communication and being open and being able to admit what you're what you're good at and what you're not good at. Or put another way, what do you want to be doing less of and what do you want to be doing more of? And people have different strengths and weaknesses and different skills. And a team is all about aligning those those strengths and talents in a way that complements each other right because i'm good at some things and not at others and you know people on a team help round that out um so i do think it's it's part of the culture if you have a culture where you're just you know you're going to pretend as the business owner that you're really good at technology and you're going to pretend that you use the crm system i mean i have a client right now where the number of tasks is just ridiculous uh they're so you know outstanding uh items is so high that you know if the partners did nothing but focus on cleaning those up it would take probably six months so what what are you really saying you know you're really to your point steve you're not really supporting uh what what's important to the firm which is you know using the crm system um I mean, you just mentioned partners i mean are all of these issues exacerbated or made easier when there are multiple partners involved? That's a great question. Um, well, it definitely becomes more challenging when you have more, you know, more people as partners, because now you really do have to be open to hearing another's point of view, uh, collaborating, making decisions uh, together uh, versus just um, you know, having to make a decision with yourself. Uh, so, but we know that the most successful firms, and Julie, I know you know this, are ones that have expanded ownership and, and you know, build, build a business where there are multiple owners. So um, I think this gets back to culture and making sure that partners are fundamentally on the same page with the culture that they want for the firm. Uh, and then how you how you go about making decisions is critical uh, when we when we bring partner teams together um, and making sure all the partners are engaged in that process. And it, you know these issues feel so big sometimes, don't they? When we're thinking about team, and I mean, if if you were. Uh, if you were to give advice to anyone listening to as, as a place to start to begin to drive that deeper level of engagement or drive that stronger culture, where, where would you suggest they begin that process? 
Well, I would begin by talking to your employees. Now, some firms, uh, you know, get a little more structured around that, and so how they do it is actually they will put together an employee engagement survey. Um, and I know, Julie, you've got experience, obviously, with, with surveys and engagement. I've done a few for clients. Um, and, you know, you can, you can do it in a more systematic way like that and survey people, or you can just do it um, in a more casual way in, in asking people uh, and talking to people about what, what excites them about working at the firm, you know, ask them that question. If you could change one thing, what would it be? Nine times out of 10, the answer I get is around communication. Employees want more communication. They want to be kept updated. They want to know what's going on. If you're, if you're a culture where, and, and there's multiple partners and you're behind closed doors a lot, you better be reporting back out to your team what you're being discussed because they're at, they're talking to each other about why you're behind closed doors. And even though you may be discussing, you know, very relevant things that have nothing to do necessarily with your employees, they, they don't know that. And, and, you know, they, they begin to worry and wonder. I get that feedback a lot from, from, groups that I work with, teams that I work with. You know, we just don't feel like we've, we're kept in the loop enough. Um, so meeting with employees on a regular basis, informally, formally, keeping them updated on the key initiatives of the firm and progress and, and how things are going is, you know, uh, really critical. And you, in my opinion, I've never, well, here's what I was going to say. I've never worked with a, with a, group where they've said, you know, we just over communicate too much. <laughs> they just give us way more information. It never than happened, we need. huh? Yeah, right, right. Right. I, I wish I knew less about what they were yeah. doing. Uh, I get complaints about our meetings aren't productive. That's a different that's a whole different ball of wax. There's an idea for your next podcast, effective meetings for team engagement. But it it's definitely um, I've never heard, you know, we want them to stop communicating with us. There's too much information they're giving us. And and can I really can I tie this back to referrals for a minute? Yeah, um, yeah, please. Yes, yeah, so funny. So, I was going to do that too. Well, how you to go see ahead. that? Great, um, Kelly. I wanted to to pick up on something you had said before, where um, you know you were talking about um, the team and how the team interacts with the client. Uh, and have, how that affects uh, referrals. So Julie and I just recently did a study on referability, and and two of the things that we uncovered were that um, you know when when advisors uh, engaged with their teams about the needs and the identity of their target market, that that had a positive reflect on uh, positive effect on referrals, and that. Uh, firms that tended to give training to their staffs had had you know, more positive referability. Um, we've talked a lot now about culture, and could you talk a little bit about how that culture and the nature of the interactions between the team and clients has, you know, can be translated into into referrals? So, you know, what, what role do you see for culture in the referability of a firm? Sure. Well, you know, Building a culture where I was I was talking about this a little earlier uh, that where it's everybody's role to be on the lookout for 
for you know client referrals and the next the next prospect it is important and it's not that everybody has to be you know a business development um, specialist but you you hit on some things understanding the ideal client profile and um, you know being able to give the elevator speech on the firm and really knowing um, how to respond when you meet someone even at a cocktail party and you talk about you know I work for XYZ firm and here's what we do for clients um, you know and our clients are so so excited about the work that we do for them and you know our client retention is super high those kinds of things you know if employees aren't aware of what to say and how to talk about the firm and who your ideal client is then they can't help you always be on the lookout right and so I think that um, that the marketing and the branding uh, is is an important part of that because we really do want employees uh, to to have a clear understanding because they are such an important piece in your client experience and if you want to have sort of the seamless end-to-end -end brand experience your employees have to have the they have to they have to be trained or have the tools and resources to be able to do that and they have to have a client-centric mindset right they have to be motivated to keep your existing clients happy you know, client retention is the key to the business model. Um, and I think from that comes that ability, you know, to be referable. Well, and, and even more than just providing good service or, or doing your job well, I mean, it, it, what you were describing a minute ago was just getting everybody on board with what the whole firm was is out to do. I'm, I'm reminded of, of a story of a journalist who was writing the story of, NASA back in the 60s when they were still scrambling to fulfill JFK's vision and um, you know he'd been interviewing engineers and the people who were designing the systems and all that kind of stuff and he found himself in a hallway at one point um, at NASA and with nobody to talk to for a little bit except that there was a janitor out there and you know clean a sweep in the floor and so he decided well what the heck so he went up to the janitor and he said excuse me sir can I ask you what you're doing and he looked at the at the report and he says well of course I'm putting a man on the moon <laughs> That's great. And so wow. it's it, it goes all the way, you know, it's 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 not just, you know, what them carrying out their roles well, but them really being engaged with with the mission and the, having the whole culture sort of revolve around that. Yeah, you know, I wonder if I could turn this around a little bit and and ask the two of you a question cuz I'll try to connect my thinking here with what what we're talking about. Lately I've been having this thought, you know, with employees and motivating them and engaging them, how many firms actually do financial plans for their employees? Mm. That's a really good question. Yeah, it's a well. How many advisors have financial plans? We could ask <laughs> that's that. That's another question. really good question. Another really good question. It's yeah. That's I mean, it's fascinating because you think about the like it's something you need to experience to understand, um, and. I mean, two things come to mind. So, I mean, the short answer I know on my end, I don't know about you, Steve, is I, I certainly haven't heard any, I haven't even heard any particular examples, although I'm sure that it happens, but certainly no statistics on that. Um, and at the same time, I, I wonder if there would be an element of, um, like, who's going to do the plan and how much information 
do I want to share with my boss or, you know, that sort of thing. But, but the notion of giving them the ability to go through that process would seem to be so important. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, I don't, I don't, I, my, you know, my answer is I have no idea how many firms do that, but I also don't ask. So I think in, in a lot of my consulting relationships, I think I'm going to ask just out of, out of curiosity. We're going to call that the hair club for men approach, you know, is to make sure that they're <laughs> not just financial planners, but also a client. <laughs> It's interesting to me because what I'm reading now about, just to shift a little bit, I'll connect the dots for you. What I'm reading more more broadly, not, not just specific to our industry, about um, millennials and, you know, millennials as employees uh, and what they, what they want uh, in terms of, of, you know, their incentive package and their compensation package. Part of what firms are beginning to help them with um, is around, you know, just that financial planning, getting getting kind of a handle around how to plan and save for their future. And it just struck me when I was reading some of this that, well, who's better positioned than if you're working for a financial planning firm? And so why wouldn't um, you know, obviously, when someone's first starting out, they don't need a full financial plan. But, you know, life gets complicated pretty quickly uh, once you decide to, you know, partner up with someone, have a family, buy a house, <laughs> you know, and your career starts to take off. And especially for folks in our firms that maybe want to be an owner someday, how do you financially make that happen? So it just strikes me as they'd be better ambassadors, right? Uh, and and to to the to out there in the universe of referrals, right? If they understood what it's like to be, you know, on the uh, sitting on the other side of the desk from that financial planning process. Um, yeah, well, give, giving giving them direct experience in the uh, in the client experience that the that the firm provides, I think that's that's a great idea because you know that that way they're not just saying, I'm I'm working really hard to do my job, but they're in a position to say, you know, when I transferred my accounts over, or when when I went through that market downturn, and my advisor who's across the hall here had to explain to me and calm me down, and you know those kinds of things. I, I think that's it's a real it's a really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. point to raise. Have you just? I mean. Uh, pivoting slightly but on this uh, the idea of, of firms that are doing things uh, the stuff that you were talking about earlier um, around business development culture and referability have you seen firms who are doing a particularly good job at that in any anything in particular that they were doing that, that really resonated for you um, there are there are some firms that are, are doing good things um, I would say um, a couple of things that I see, and and these aren't any brand new ideas, but by any stretch, but they're actually ideas that people are doing something with. They're they're taking action on. So so you can make you know you can't make progress if you don't actually implement. Um, and one of those is really around training. Um, you know, we can call it sales training, which is probably not the best way to to label it for for a relationship management driven business, but, um, some, you know, training and, and training everyone in the firm. And that can be in a more formalized, you know, there's vendors out there doing it, but, but I just encourage, you know, the, uh, partners, usually one of whom is an awesome rainmaker start to begin to 
socialize what you do, how you do it, you know, over brown bag lunches or a pizza Friday or something for lunch where you begin to share some of the ways in which, you know, you go about making rain and, 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 and starting to, to do it that way. I mean, that's, that's, I, I know that there are a lot of firms out there doing just that. Uh, and some that are, you know, have found some good training, vendor training programs to help. And then reinforcing whatever that activity, let's just start with activity. Let's not jump straight to results on day two of this um, creating a business development culture. Let's start with activity and then reinforcing that and rewarding that activity. And then once you get enough activity to see results, then you can move to actually rewarding, you know, just the results if that's appropriate. So I, I do see firms that are are doing that. Uh, there's firms that have kind of larger firms that can afford to have, let's just say, more of a delicate, uh, dedicated business development or marketing person, uh, where they've they've made that role be more of an in-house coach uh, for the rest of the team. Um, so that again, there's a resource for, for building, you know, that, that new muscle, that business development muscle, that relationship management muscle. Um, so kind of like a personal trainer, I guess what comes to my mind, you know, inside the organization or an outside consultant that can, that can, you know, have that role with folks and be the mentor and coach. So I, I do see that and then connecting, I, I can't inf reinforce enough, connecting the dots with your reward system. And, you know, the reward system of not only what hits someone's paycheck or, you know, bonus uh, paycheck, but, um, but also just, you know, celebrating when there is activity to celebrate, you know, some prospect meetings and debriefing what went well in that prospect meeting, what didn't go well, you know, just again, socializing and communicating around uh, the activity and what's working. Uh, what do we want to course correct next time? Right, right. Well, you know, Kelly, I, we could chat all day and sometimes we do because uh, I can go on for, for ages with you um, but but I know we're at time so just before before we wrap up where where can uh, listeners find you and find out more information about you well you can find me uh, my website is cruz c-r-u-z consulting group dot com so I know it's kind of a long one cruz consulting group dot com and um, I'm Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, at cruiseconsultinggroup.com. So, so shoot me an email. Um, you can always call me. That's so old school. How, how baby boomer <laughs> of me. people do that? <laughs> you know, I actually answer my phone. I had someone just the other day when I answered it, they're like, oh, my God, I don't even know what to say. You answered your phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, hello? You can say hello and who you are. Yeah, but it's, yeah, that's kicking it old school. It's uh, 415-381-2087. I even have some people text me, 415-235-3292. And we'll, so, we'll put all those links um, in, in the show notes as well so that uh, people 
can can get to you but thank you so much uh, this has been great chatting with you I love that we're kind of examining all of these different angles and and interesting how they all ultimately connect to to growth and referability which is of course what we're talking about so thanks again for your time absolutely yes Kelly thanks very much and thank you both for the great work that you do we we appreciate it oh, thanks hey folks Steve again thanks for joining us on becoming referable if you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.